we uh, there's not a rule that you have to do, use the three subs. You don't find us competitive. Um, he's, he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Alrighty, hello everybody. Welcome back. Hope you're doing well. You know, if you're if you're a White Caps fan tuning in, I hope you're doing especially well because after that, I think you deserve it. Um, I think that's about as poignant as, a, as an intro as you're going to get from me on this on this show. But before we introduce ourselves, if you watch the White Caps game and you aren't a TFC plug. Um, Apologies, I guess. Uh, hopefully you were able to go enjoy a bit of the sun after, go for a walk or go for a swim or a run or something because that was something. But, you know, before we dive into that to that game, I'm your co-host, Alexander Gange-Ruzik. I'm back with uh, co-host Samuel Rowan. We both, um, we kind of, I wouldn't say suffered through the game last night, but we definitely lived through it. And it was maybe what you'd call an experience of sorts. I mean, We've watched some bad Whitecaps games, especially last year, and I don't think seeing the Whitecaps play bad was, you know, is anything crazy. But what, what what stood out for me was how bad they were yesterday. I don't think they've ever been worse than I saw them yesterday. And you know what? I guess that's good because it can only get better from here. But, boy, was it ever tough to live through that one. So, Sam, how are you feeling after that one? Yeah, welcome back to the podcast, everyone, and what what a great way to get it started off. But uh, it was just one of those matches where tactically you felt like the Whitecaps were pretty much never in it right from the start. Right there were there were barely even those slivers of of hope throughout. There was that one Cavallini chance, which he actually took surprisingly well. Well, I guess not surprising given that it was Lucas Cavallini, but it was just. The, you know, we're used to seeing the Whitecaps bunker a little bit deep and, you know, try to hit in the counter and maybe not play the most attractive style of football on earth. But that was a new level last night. And, uh, you know, you just look at all the possession stats, the passing stats, the passing accuracy, passes completed in the, the opponent's half in the final third is just completely demoralizing. And I, and I think the big question for me right now is that, and I don't know, maybe people disagree with me, but it feels like this Whitecaps team is playing as less than the sum of their parts. It feels like there's more potential out of this roster and this lineup, and they're just, for whatever reason, not able to put the pieces together correctly. And I think we saw that last night with kind of just a very disjointed philosophy from Mark Dos Santos. You had that partnership of Gutierrez and Adnan on the left which just did not work out at all I mean in in theory it made sense but it just practically didn't didn't fit and then you know you have these massive gaps between your lines in attack it almost felt like a 4-2-2-2 at times like which is just the most narrow and like uncreative attacking formation possible so yeah, it's it's kind of a, a question of where to start in terms of the issues. And and Alex, I don't know if there's a, is there one thing tactically that really stood out to you or was is is a burning issue you'd like to talk about? Well, I just feel like they got outmatched by Toronto FC, and I have to give credit to Greg Vanny because 
Obviously, the midfield trio of Michael Bradley, Marky Delgado, and Alejandro Pozuelo is among among the best in MLS, at least. And on top of that, that leaves out Jonathan Azorio, who's a marvelous MLS player. Instead of leaving him on the bench as a ring or whatnot, Vanny sticks him in as a left mid, but he's far from a left mid besides anything in, in practice. He runs around, he roams, he's basically in a free roll with Pozuelo, which if, you know, a double pivot of Pozuelo and Osorio as the number 10 is just, is, is just unfair. And I think the Whitecaps with their two-man midfield, it was just kind of unfair for Russell Tybert and Leonard Owusu. You can't, as maybe absent as we could say they were, they just weren't given a chance tactically. And you know what? I can understand Mark DeSantos sticking with the 4-4-2 to start because it is his preferred formation, yada, yada. You know, they've been working on it. There's reasons. But seeing how Toronto dominated the game through midfield and how the Whitecaps were only 1-0 one, one down at halftime. Yeah, basically what was a golasso after the midfielders fell asleep. They were still very much in the game. And maybe I would have liked to see them rectify the midfield more because for me, I believe that if you win the midfield, your chances of winning the game go up. Usually how I view games is there's usually three tactical battles. And if you win two or three of them, you win the game. And when you lose the midfield battle, it usually impacts your ability to win other battles just because you're so outmatched. So if you want to have the best chance at winning the game, if you win the midfield battle, your chances go up infinitely. And I've talked about that with my when I analyze the Canadian national team and other things. So I think the Whitecaps, tactically, they could have done a lot more in terms of experimenting or finding a way to stem the tide in the midfield. And I really, if I'm a Whitecaps fan looking for Friday's rematch with TFC, which, again, if you're the Whitecaps, like how often do you basically get a chance in the same stadium against the same team to basically just get a do-over of the game that they just played? And if they win, that basically, you know, it, it, it offsets their loss somehow. I've just It's unprecedented redemption chance if they're going to have a hope at winning they need to start with the midfield because against this toronto fc team they were dominant the midfield was yeah and and you feel like on a basic level even if you can't match the opposition in terms of quality of players you can the first thing you can do is match in terms of numbers in the midfield so if tfc has four you can respond with four of your own and I think someone who is in your mentions on Twitter, Alex, suggested the possibility of a guy like Andy Rose playing that, you know, sweep, destroy, you know, destroy and progress midfielder you like to dub. And obviously the Whitecaps are missing Yanni Obakel in that role. And that could have potentially filled a massive hole. But I think you have to look at, do you take a guy like Ranko Vasilnovich or Andy Rose and put him in that position? Not necessarily because that's, what you want to do, but because you just need to match those numbers in midfield on Friday. Well, it's an interesting proposition. And I saw it and I was like, last year I liked Andy Rose at times at number six, but I just didn't feel, I felt, I felt like on pure talent and, or at least in my team, I would have taken Yana Rise as a six over um, Andy Rose. But I thought for what MDS had as a personnel, I thought Andy Rose was a great number six. And, I also like him as a center back. I won't say I don't like him at center back, but I just felt in a game like this, A, I guess we can go into that after. I felt like taking out Derek Cornelius is the wrong decision. And I feel, I mean, credit to, to MDS for whatever reason, he hasn't been a fan of Derek Cornelius or he's just been tougher on Derek Cornelius than he has on other players. And 
it makes us look really good because we pump Derek Cornelius's tires every time. And every time he plays, he's been keeping clean sheets. And when he doesn't, they allow three goals. So, you know, I'll put my smug face on for that. But Andy Rose might have been a possible midfield shout because, you know, a, a two-man midfield against a four, basically what was a four-man midfield from Toronto FC, even a five-man with how Piatti was cutting in and making damage. You're just not going to win many games. And I mean, I guess Dahomey and Adnan and Gutierrez were kind of, you know, in that midfield four, but it just, it felt like the Whitecaps were you, too You can't rely out. on those players for that support. And, it, and it's foolish to think that those guys are going to count as, you know, to, to match up 1v1 versus some of those TFC midfielders. Well, yes and no. I just, I think maybe personnel-wise they could, but in a 4-4-2, the, your, the wingers' jobs are to provide width. And, like, they're not supposed to tuck in and take care of the, the midfielder. So if I'm DeSantos, either you tell them to cut in, which he didn't, or you put on bodies who can. And I feel like that's where TFC just were dominated or were able to dominate. So if I'm MDS I, and for the next game, I want to go to a 4-3-3 or even, like, a 4-5-1, heck, even – even a 4-4-2 with four center midfielders, obviously it's tough because there's no Daniel Bakel, there's no Inbom, so they basically You have, don't really have four central midfielders unless you're going to start Metcalf or something like that. And I wouldn't mind to see start to start Metcalf and Baldissimo, but at the same time, I, I, if there's a game that MDS talks about slowed integration, I don't think throwing them to the Wolves against TFC would be the greatest shout either. So I could see the argument towards not starting them in this one and maybe waiting for a different game. But try something at this point. Play, play Ranko Veselinovic and Andy Rose as a midfield pivot if you got to. Like, at least try something because if they're going to lose the midfield battle against this Toronto team, it's not going to be an easy game. And at the very least, if they, if they don't feel comfortable in playing through them in possession, which I'd love to see more of, first of all, at the very least, be put up a setup that can defensively neuter them. And if it has to end up being a nil-nil or a one-nil, like, boar fest, well, I think we'd rather see that than watch Toronto just absolutely spank them like they did yesterday. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you there. I think, you know, at the very least, you need to, to match the numbers and, and, and put up a bit of a better defensive structure because I think, again, for, you know, what feels like the umpteenth time, the, the Whitecaps defensive lines were just so deep. I, I think I saw a tweet at one point, something to the effect of, you know, the Whitecaps come out every game trying to concede the record amount of, of corners in an MLS match. And it, and it really did feel like that early on. Now they kind of stem the tide a bit in terms of the corners at least. And I think they only conceded nine, which feels like a low amount for this Whitecaps team, but it, it you just want to see, you know, at the very least things, uh, made a little bit easier on the back four because the, it's just such a huge ask match in match out right now. But one element of the, uh, the match I wanted to talk to you about Alex was that left-hand side and the combination play between Christian Gutierrez and Ali Adnan, which I think when people saw that in the lineup, you could kind of see where the thought process was going and maybe, you know, imagine how that might work with Ali Adnan kind of sitting deep then darting forward on runs and Gutierrez covering for him. But what ended up happening was just that both players kind of looked out of position and a, and a bit confused at times. And I think you kind of, you know, you exposed some of Ali Adnan's issues running back and covering defensively by trying to create that kind of interplay on the left-hand side. Well, first of all, I have thoughts on the defensive line that you, you better not let me forget 
so I'll, I'll go I'll answer your question before we can talk about that or you know, you know with my thoughts I thought Aliad my first qualm with the the thing of Ali Adnan Gutierrez is why did they switch like I thought Ali Adnan was such a good left winger and his cameos there at MLS's back and that Gutierrez was such a good left back so why the heck was the process to put Gutierrez at left mid and have Adnan at left back it just looks so disjointed for no reason it felt like it brought the worst out of both of them at times if I'm yeah and it felt like Gutierrez was such a solid left back whereas Adnan he was so good to start the game when in that roaming role his dribbling is so destabilizing for defenses and Maybe his, his final pass really leaves a lot to, to, you know, sometimes his final pass really frustrates, but I thought he was good as a left winger. So I just, I didn't like how they were deployed. I have no idea why Gutierrez was a left mid. That was basically a position setting him up to fail. At that point, you may as well just play Adnan at left back and bring on Malinkovic or, you know, why, why bench Malinkovic if you're going to play Gutierrez at left mid? Uh, but it's Adnan was so good at left mid too. So I like the idea of an Adnan Gutierrez partnership. I just don't know. I have no idea why the idea was to put Gutierrez at left mid, if I'm being honest. So that's kind of how I felt about it. I felt like they were both out of their depth and for reasons out of their control. But then again, Adnan has to track back better. And well, Gutierrez, well, I just, yeah, I just felt like he was more out of his depth. I can't really criticize him. You know, I, you'd want to criticize him, but you just can't criticize a guy when he's played out of position out of, position where the white caps have better options including the guy that he was playing with Ali Adnan yeah Mark Dos Santos made a comment post-match about how Gutierrez was in that position for his pressing ability but then the difficulty I saw throughout the match was that Ali Adnan would make a run forward and you know try to do something creative the white caps lose the ball Gutierrez is pressing but then Gutierrez sees that Ali Adnan's not fully back in his left back position. And so Gutierrez now feels like he has to drop back and you end up with two guys in the same position and no one really doing anything. And so I, I can understand why Mark DeSantos thought, Hey, Gutierrez, you know, he's got that high motor, he'll run, he'll press, that'll be effective. But the, the overall lack of consistency throughout the press that the white cap showed in addition with Ali's, you know, difficulties at time getting back as quickly as he should just kind of compounded the issues, but um, you know, kind of moving, moving on from that. Do you want to, do you want to go back and touch on the defensive line? Cause I feel like we're maybe bound for another Derek Cornelius rant here. We'll, we'll, well have to well, see. I'm, I do want to talk. I have so much I want to talk about if I'm being honest. I want to talk about the press too. Now that you mentioned the yeah. press, maybe I, I, I'll, we can talk more about the press, but w- w- for one thing you said about the press is yes, Gutierrez might've been good in the press, but if I'm the white caps and I'm DeSantos, the press, yes, it was a problem. But I don't think Gutierrez playing out of position was a solution to fix it. I think well, you're, you're number one. Mark DeSantos's words, not mine. So yeah, no. If you're if you're DeSantos <laughs> and you want to fix your press, your number one solution is taking basically one of the best pressers I've ever seen live of the ball to Saint Ricketts, who was on the bench, and yeah. replacing Jordi Reyna with him. And I'll give Jordi Reyna credit. I like him as a player. I've been critical of his defensive work rate. I thought he pressed pretty good yesterday. But the problem with Reyna. He's a, he's a lone wolf presser. You know, he'll have these spurts where you're like, damn, he really ran his bag off there and pressed really well. And then he'll have moments where he's out of position or he drops. He's just a shadow number 10. And I don't think that's an indictment of him as a player. I just think he was out of position as a pure striker in a 4-4-2. I, I feel like in the 4-4-2 that the Whitecaps could have played, if they were 
you know, a part of the reason why Bradley and co destroyed the white caps through the midfield was that the what they were, it was so easy to play through the white caps press. And if I'm the white caps and I want to press, well, then you put Milinkovic on the left, Cavallini at striker, Ricketts at striker, Dahomey at right wing. And that's an elite pressing team already. I feel like we saw them play together against LA. They press so and a, and a well. lot of, it's such a it's such a more cohesive identity throughout. I think having Ren- two Rennie in there makes it strikers feel... and two actually wingers. It's not yeah. a half striker. It's not a half winger. If you're gonna press and play a four four two and dis- destabilize TFC, then then go for you know play the players in the position. Play Ricketts up front. Don't be scared to do that. Played Dahomey and Milinkovic. Obviously, Milinkovic might have had a knock, so there is that. But, heck, even put Bear at right wing and put Dahomey at left mid because Bear has shown to be a pretty good presser of the Bear, ball Bear well. or Raposo would have been good shouts if you're concerned about Milinkovic there. And I think to yeah. add to your point, the, the 4-4-2 at its best is all about, you know, simplicity and work ethic and work rate. And having all these little veins within the 4-4-2 where – it was a little too intricate and too complicated, just led to a very disjointed press, which was so easily broken down. It was almost like, you know, you can see the co- the commentators 20, 25 minutes in just saying, are they trying to press or are they not trying to press? Because you could just see the inconsistency throughout the team. Yeah. Well, that brings me to my other point, which was the, the, the line, the defensive line and the part of the four, four, two that works so well is when the banks of four are compact and and just together. And I don't. You can play a four four two with the high line. You can play a four four two with the deep line. But what I see, see too often from the Whitecaps in their four four two is that their defensive line will drop way back, and their midfield line will kind of be caught up. And there's just this giant gulf between the midfielders and the defenders. That you know, you call it what you want. The midfield hole, the the dark sea. You know, what whatever you want to call it. It's just. It doesn't work. I, I feel like if you're the Whitecaps, I watch teams like Atletico Madrid as an example. I'll use them as their, they're a famous 4-4-2. You watch their 4-4-2. Yeah, they sit back on the, on the top of the six, but they're so compact that all the team can do is try to go wide and whip in crosses. And if you're Ranko Veselinovic and Andy Rose, like, yeah, bring it on. But when, you're, when guys are allowed to cut in and work between the lines on your 4-4-2, that doesn't work. And this is where I'll give a shout out to Andy Rose because I think he's going to be a great head coach going forward. And I just think his post-game comments, I was, I was just really enamored with what he said. And one of the things he explicitly, you know, he said when, when asked about it was he thought that the Whitecaps midfield and defensive lines were too stretched, too spread out, not solid enough. And I was, you know, I was like, wow, that really, he hit the nail on the head there. And I want, if I'm the Whitecaps and you're going to play a 4-4-2 against TFC, if you're going to have any hope at destabilizing, their, their midfield, you need the 4-4-2, the midfield four to be narrower, more compact, more on top of the defensive line. If they're going to sit back, that's okay, but you have to sit back as a unit, and that's what I, I feel like the Whitecaps, they don't do enough. It feels like they sit back, and but it feels like the other team's midfield has a rain on the back, back four, whereas the midfield, they just leave too big of a gap between them. And it, it, that, that's what I honestly what I feel like is a huge part of their – their defensive woes and I feel like maybe we look at Derek Cornelius when he was in at MLS's back yes Cornelius helps a lot but also it helps that against Chicago and against uh Sporting Kansas City the 5-4-1 and the 4-4-2 and the 5-4-1 like the three formations they ended up playing 
they were really compact. I thought they were a lot more compact. And against Toronto, they were just too spread out once again, starting with the wingers, the CMs. It just didn't work out. Well, I think there's no better example of that than that first Piatti goal where, you know, TFC was dancing around the edge of the box for 25, 30 seconds before the ball, you know, popped out high above the box there. And then, you know, Piatti has the chance to just kind of take a look around, whistle, you know, snap his fingers, do whatever he likes before cracking a shot. And, you know, if you have that better organization, if you have that second bank of four truly organized, hopefully that's something that you can clean up and close down. And the Whitecaps just did not have that throughout the match. Yeah. And I think the Piatti goal is a great example because they were, the Whitecaps were stretched out in their 4-4-2. Gutierrez and Nawusu were out of position. They tried to run back. Piatti drops his shoulder, cuts in. Tybert sits back and yeah, had the Whitecaps been in a compact 4-4-2 and they'd sat back, technically Piatti could have gotten that shot away. But it would have been a lot harder for him to shoot through a compact block of eight than it was that compact back four with Tybert just on his own, like, what the heck do I do? And there was a huge gap between Rose and Ranko allowing him to shoot. It just, you know, in a 4-4-2, that shot never gets – in a proper 4-4-2 that's organized properly, that shot never gets off. I, I just – I can't think of moments where a shot like that has broken a 4-4-2 or just a defensive formation unless the formation is, discom, you know, discombobulated. And credit to Piatti. That shot's a worldy shot. And to give him credit, he's so talented that I feel like he could do that 10 times and get that shot on target eight times out of the 10. So, like – credit to him for that but you just can't give a player that much space and the 442 is meant to it's meant to get take away chances like that so it's frustrating to see that's the goal that the white caps give up so one thing i i kind of thought out about throughout the match and i'm continuing to think about now is i don't think there's a a single player that i feel as bad for right now as lucas cavallini because you're through three matches now with the white caps and I don't know. I'd love to. I probably should have compiled this pre-show, but I'd love to add up the total amount of touches he's had so far because he's been so disconnected and disjointed from the rest of the squad. And, and it kind of goes to show that, you know, no matter what kind of quality striker you have at the top end, if you can't provide him service and you can't get him involved, it's, it's very, very difficult to do much with. And yeah, just interested for your thoughts and, and what must Cavallini be thinking right now? Certainly quite frustrated, I would think. Cavallini's, it's interesting with Cavallini because I feel like he just hasn't gotten the ball much over three games, but he had, he's hit a post, he's missed a penalty, he's come close on another shot against Toronto, despite the Whitecaps having 26% possession, he still had a chance, like, if he's, he's, he leads the team by, in XG, I'm pretty sure, and he's only played three games, so he's a good striker, I think we've, we're seeing a good striker, and he just needs service. And I think that's an evergreen tweet. If we're going to be honest, the whole white cap striker needs service. Like I've heard that one before. Wow. That, that's, that's new to me. But if, if you're Cavalini, you just need to get him touches. Cause his, he's going to be, he could be a 25 goal scorer. If you get him the service that he, he needs, like it's actually, it, it blows my mind how he, how good he's been for the white caps. And even yesterday, his touch was absolutely shocking. I don't think he'll kid, he'll, he'll, he'd say anything different. There was somewhere the ball came to him and it bounced off his shin. You're like, wow, this is a DP. But then again, you can't get mad at him because he hasn't played in five months. So, you know, you don't expect a guy to be coming in with glue on his shoe after taking that much time off. But 
his qualities there. You just need to find a way to get him the ball and figure out the best setup. And it just feels like the Whitecaps aren't set up to provide Cavallini that support. But I'm 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 excited what I've seen with from him, despite the Whitecap struggles. Let's say that after seeing him play. And then another guy I wanted to talk about briefly was uh, Thomas Assal. And the, the dream run kind of comes to an end, right? The, the fairy tale's over, back to reality a little bit. But at the same time, I don't think that Hassal necessarily was, had anything to do with those three goals. Like, it really was, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily a poor performance. It's just more of a victim of the, the high quality of shots volleyed in against him. Yeah, no, I, I feel like Hassal was – you can't fault the – fault his play I thought he was excellent if anything I feel like some people were quite harsh on him there were some like oh he parried it into danger I mean yeah the the distribution again is is you know a bit of a a room for improvement area but but other than that I mean I think that was also more of a white caps back four problem too that just wasn't a unique to Hassel sorry problem and I, I thought he was good, and I feel like the ones like, oh, he parried it where you should have saved it. He The guy was so close to him where you, you all you can do is parry it. It's reflex and hope your defenders react anyways. That's their job. And I think the goal, well, again, Piatti scoring that screamer. Like, that, that was actually such a hard shot. Like, watching on the replay, it went off boot in the goal. It felt like a half second or a second. So, you know, that and then the other one, Piatti getting a volley in the box. He's going to score that every time. And, I mean, he could have challenged De Leon really a little more, but I don't know if how you could look at a goal, the third goal, and be like, Hassal was the problem. There was a lot more fundamentally wrong with that goal that makes me not worry about the young keeper. So it's just tough. I think it's just tough for him because in the first two game, three games, he got run support. Or not run support, he got defensive support. And I talked about that, but when he came in, I'm like, if I'm the Whitecaps, I want to work my bag off just to not let this kid get embarrassed. And I think we saw yesterday what can happen if you don't work your bag off for him because as good as a goalkeeper as he is, I think for any goalkeeper, you're going to get overrun when your team is that poor defensively. And it's just especially tough that it's a rookie goalie. You hate to see a rookie goalie work like that. So with him, if I'm the Whitecaps, just play that compact 4-4-2, whatever it is mainly for your defensive sake, but also for, for Hassal. And Hassal shows he's a good goalkeeper as long as the, the saves are reasonable. They don't have to – don't ask him to, you know, reinvent the wheel and he'll be okay. So I hope hopefully the Whitecaps can rectify that because I do feel bad for Hassal after a game like that. And, and then one more individual performance I think I wanted to talk about a little bit was – in defensive Jake Nerwinski, who's a guy we've kind of been, I think, riding for pretty hard this year and who's – you know, performed really well after there were lots of rumors in the off season about, you know, his position being in jeopardy or maybe him moving on to another club. But despite team struggles, I think that he's really, you know, held up his end of the bargain at right back. And, and it was another quality match. I mean, it's always difficult to heap a ton of praise on, you know, defenders when you concede three goals. But I thought, I thought Jake was strong throughout and really not the, you know, once again, we've, we said this with Jake a number of times, but it's kind of the, He's the least of your problems at this point. I don't have much to say about Jake. Just he's been lights out defensively. I don't know where he found these blocks and tackles. And just please, all I'll say, Mark DeSantos, please, for the love of everything that is good in this world, please don't play Daniel Bacal in place of Jake Nerwinski at right back. Signed me, signed Sam, signed 
everyone who wants to see Daniel Bakel play as a number six and signed Daniel Bakel maybe and Jake Nowinski too. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the, the issues that Jake had in the past was that sometimes he got lost a bit positionally. Like he'd make little runs up the pitch or he'd try to, you know, kind of come up and play a high line and he'd leave space in behind or he'd just, you know, let, let a winger slip through. And, and it feels like he's been really solid in his position and his shape, not letting guys in behind, not letting guys get around him, always kind of keeping the game in front of him. And so I think positionally, as much as anything, in addition to the tackles, the clearances, the blocks, he's been really impressive so far in 2020. Yeah, no, you can't. I feel, I'm excited with what Jake has brought so far, and I'm happy because, if anything, Bacal should just be treated as injury cover as a right back. And I, un, until you sign enough caliber midfielders that you're luxurious enough to move someone like Bacal at right back, he needs to be in the midfield. The problem is not at right back. It's in the spine of the pitch, and that that starts with the midfield. So that that's what I'd say for, for the Nerwinski conundrum. But I guess on that note, where do we want to move to next? Maybe, you know, we could talk about MDS tactics or preparation or... Well, yeah, I think I, I want to kind of bring up a fundamental question here, which is, you know, is it sent we've spent a lot of the first part of this podcast breaking down the things that went wrong tactically. But my question is, is it more an issue of picking the wrong tactics for Mark DeSantos or is it an issue of implementing them into his squad properly? Because it, it seems a lot of the time like Mark DeSantos puts out very good game plans on paper and they struggle to translate to the pitch. The only real time we've seen certainly this season, his game plans have success is when it's a very kind of counterattacking let's uh, you know absorb the pressure and then hit them on the break like we saw at those last couple matches of the group stage and MLS is back so I'm just sort of wondering you know when Mark Dos Santos plans to control more of the ball and, and and play more of you know the style that he says he wants to play why is the team struggling so much to execute that plan is it because the plan is a poor one or is it because the implementation of the plan is, is insufficient? And it, that's a, that's a very tough question to ask. I mean, my criticisms would be maybe more of his, he's reluctant to adjust his game plan at times. And that's hard for a coach. You never like to admit that your plan was wrong or it's hard sometimes to see from field level, what you can see from above on TV or whatnot. But I feel like, for example, in the TFC game, coming out the 4-4-2 again, like I said earlier, it makes sense. But when you see your 4-4-2s discombobulated or this and that, I would have liked to see maybe a change to a 4-3-3 or just make your wingers play more narrow and more compact. Like adjustments are always a concern, but it's hard to say with this plan that comes out because I'm more frustrated about the fact that you hear these things like we're going to press, we're going to hold possession. We, we just don't see that. And that's where it's like, what's, what, what's going on in training? What, what are they working on? Why have they just been unable to show it in, 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 in games? And then again, I, I was thinking about it. I'm like, yeah, it's frustrating. What's even more frustrating is you think back to preseason. I think specifically that game against Minnesota, they were so good in possession. They were so good defensively. They were so good everywhere. So they've shown it before, but it's just like, why is an isolated preseason game five months ago the only time we've seen them show that? Why, 
why, for whatever reason, when the stakes have counted, it's just always been the same, you know, negative tactics. And yes, there's, I don't mind negative tactics as long as they're cohesive, but boy, in a game against Toronto where you play negatively and you don't play good, it's just not a recipe for, for, for success. And it's not going to win over the fans because the fans, they want winners. I feel like fans in Vancouver at this point, having lived through all they have in MLS, they could care less if they sit behind the ball and concede 98% possession, have one shot a game every every game and win 38 games. I think the Whitecaps fans don't care, but they just want to see work ethic. They want to see cohesiveness. They want to see just some semblance of a plan. And, you know, there is there is work ethic. I think Mark DeSantos gets good work ethic. This is the lone exception I've seen in a while that they didn't look like they worked hard. And that's just... You know, that happens. I feel like there's teams in every, even the top teams, they have games where they just don't work hard enough. But I just want to see more cohesiveness and some sort of plan because it's also frustrating because good on DeSantos for being very, how do I say, very open, very, you know, I want a high press. I want to have possession. Well, if you're going to say those things, like show them. I feel like fans now, they're expecting it and they're going to – he's going to start losing the fan base because the fan base has and will be patient with them. But at the same time, they want to see something. They want to see progress. They want to see actions to show up the word. So it's just a tough situation all around for him. Yeah. And I think that last point you made kind of, kind of points to how I'm feeling where I feel like there must be a issue or a difficulty implementing the vision in training, you know, and in their off field work, you know, in the, in the video room, there, there seems to be some issue there in actually getting the message translated onto the pitch because Dos Santos talks about keeping possession, talks about the high press, talks about the way he wants his teams to play. And even has, you know, with Axel Schuster in theory centered the signings they brought in around that style of play. And yet you go out match after match and end up playing very negative, very deep lying bunker and hope style football, which is just the, the polar opposite of what you hear preached on a day to day basis. So it leads me to believe that, you know, there's some part along the process from the initial message, the vision to actually getting that product on the pitch, something is going wrong because I think the group of players they have, like I said, at the start of the show, I think it's a, they're getting less out of that group than is possible at the moment. It's not like the players aren't good enough. I think the players are good enough to have a better result, a better product than this on the pitch. So the question is, what are you doing wrong along the way that's leading to this disjointed, you know, just kind of unattractive and, and ultimately losing football at the moment? Yeah. And it's, it's just, I just don't know where to start where, you know, I, if anything, my frustrations are mostly with the offense. Cause I feel like then again, defense, it isn't hard to coach defending. It's just frustrating to see now the white caps, for example, like the last four games I compiled, they've averaged 38% possession. And that's despite holding possession at 52% against Seattle. You take out that game. I think the average is something like, like 32% over the last three games. That's not good. They've averaged like, I can't get the number, but it's been something like three or two or three shots a game over that time. One or two shots a game. You know, they just, the offense looks so dire. And that's where it's like, is it coaching? Like, is it personnel? 
And I look at the offense, there's good pieces. There was, you know, there's Lucas Cavallini, Malinkovic, Dahomey. Maybe the midfield is a bit iffy at times, but Jordi Reyna. Like you feel like you could take this team and do a lot more with, you know, what there is. And it feels frustrating to look at someone like Carl Robinson, who was derided for his negative tactics. And don't get me wrong, I don't think a return to Carl Robinson is the solution. And especially with all the ridiculous comments he's made in the press lately, I don't know what you know, his God complex is starting to, I, I think his God complex really turned off a lot of his, even his supporters that he, that he did have. But, you know, at least Carl Robinson, the Whitecaps would attack with their negative football. They had fast players who just make, make you enjoy the game in the counter. Like what the Whitecaps, when they sit back, there's no guys you look like at an, like an Alfonso Davies, a Kukumane, a Christian. Shout out to Scooter, who's back in MLS. With yeah, Rams, well, he was yeah. Back, he was in MLS, but, he, but you know maybe he'll actually play again. They're going to get a bit of a more know. prominent role, maybe we'll see. But like at least there was something there. Like now, like the, the Whitecaps don't have that counterattack speed. They don't have that possession. They just kind of it's just meh. It's just kind of a giant meh on the field, and that's frustrating for the fans because if the fans aren't going to watch their team win, at least like score goals, at least be offensive, and heck, if Nashville can come into the league and look so much better than the Whitecaps have. And, like, that's Nashville. Not many people were, you know, were very high on Nashville. Like, that's where you start to you start to be, okay, like, what can the Whitecaps do? Because, especially offensively, it's just it's just not good to watch what they've done offensively. I'm, I'm you know, I'm worried about that at a certain point because it's what are fixes. Yes, going out and buying a $6 million midfielder DP would help. Yes, but at a certain point, like, you'd think that they could do something with what they have. Like, are you telling me all these guys that were brought in are useless? Like, you know, that's, that's where my frustration lies. So if we're, if we're going to try to – I'm, I'm going to do my best attempt here to flip back on to Optimus Union for a second. I think, you know, first and foremost, you have a, a TFC team that, you know, on the whole has one of the better rosters in the league. So that is – it is a challenge, and – now the Whitecaps have seen them once and hopefully you can make some adjustments for Friday. And in that kind of vein, right before we move on to our third sub of the match here and finish things off, Alex, if, if you're the manager, if you're Mark Santos, what realistically can you, without completely, you know, just throwing everything out the window with, you know, keeping within the framework of what you've already been working on or what you've already seen from the Whitecaps, what little adjustments can be made to maybe tip things in your, fr- your favor in the, I, I call, I'll call it the return fixture, but it's, it's at Toronto. So it's not really a return fixture. Where do I start? I feel I want to free up Leonard Owusu. Heck play Andy Rose and Ranko Veselinovic as a pair of double sixes if you have to. But I want to see Leonard Owusu freed up. I feel like he's been too neutralized in this role, and we're not going to see the best of him until he's freed up. So if that's in a three-man midfield, a four-man midfield, I want to see Leonard Owusu free up. Heck, play him as a number 10 just to try and see what he can bring. I want to see the wingers more involved. I want to see maybe either Adnan and some combination of Adnan, Dahomey, Milinkovic, and Bear or Raposo. But I want to see them be more fluid. I want to see them cut in more, but also make more destabilizing runs outside, inside. You know, I want more fluidity in attack. I want to see, you know, just, yeah, a combination of better defensive midfield structure and attacking structure because 
they're going to bunker. If they're going to bunker, that's fine. I just want to see more cohesiveness around them because if not, it's going to be a not, it's not going to be a pretty game again on Friday. Yeah. I think here's my, here would my, this would be my message going in. Let's play a five, four, one and commit to that, you know, in defense, nine back solid defensive structure. We're going to concede 65, 70% of possession and that's fine. But when we're back defensively, we're going to have organized lines we're going to, you know, prevent those chances around the edge of the box. We're going to close that stuff down. And then I think, you know, you get Adnan out in that wing back position. You get, uh, you know, I guess you put Jake out in the other wing back position. You've got Cavallini up front. You've got, you know, I think at least one of Rose Vasilinovich to help out in that midfield and clear things up. And, and at least if you're going to play a somewhat similar style to what you did uh, we saw yesterday, you want to execute it properly in a way where things kind of fell apart. And so I think going back to that three slash five at the back is probably the easiest way to do that. So if I'm going to make one major change, I think that would be it. But do we want to talk a little bit about uh, the third sub of the match and the, or, or even just the fact that uh, Mark DeSantos used five subs? Oh, last thing for the tactics. I just want to see the Whitecaps take some shots from I feel like the white caps. Like, what was it? Four shots total. Four shot, one on target. Oh like, my sure, goodness! Like it feels like there's some teams in MLS that have seen their teams score more goals in the last four games, and we've seen the white caps take shots on target. Like yeah. I want them to take shots on target. That's that's my last plea. But third sub on the game. Let's see. I I didn't. Ha- I, my bad for not writing it down. But it's, if I'm it's not Ryan. Mistaken, it's it Ryan Patrick Met- Metcalf, Ryan Raposo, and. And the last one was Castillo Bear and Milinkovic were the first two. And then yeah, the fifth to, one to St. Ricketts. To St. Ricketts was the th- okay, the fourth. Okay. Well, I don't know. I, I feel like Bear should have been starting, my honest opinion. I think he came on 60 minutes too late and he showed that. I mean, he wasn't great on the third goal, but at that point, like 88th minute of the game, you know, I'm going to cut him a bit of slack because he's been rare with that kind of mistake. But, you know, Bear should have started, but he's not our third sub, so I won't say anything about him. Um, Milinkovic, I think it was good for him to get some minutes after the injury, so I'm not, you know, again, he's not our third sub. But Ryan Raposo, I thought he... Do you, do you want the full stat line? Uh, I think I'll be good, but I just think from what, I'm, from what I saw, I want to see more of him. I, don't, I think MDS shouldn't be shy to start him because yeah. him and Bear because I thought they were both really good. So if I'm going to give him one word for Raposo, I'd be hopeful. I, I, yeah. He gave me some hope there. My, my word's going to be more because I want to see more of him and because I feel like Raposo is the type of player that needs to get stuck into the match, needs to have a feel for it. And when you bring him on for a 20-minute performance, especially when it, it almost feels like garbage time, like the Whitecaps, there was very much a sense they weren't going to come back in that match and it felt like you're just kind of playing out the final minutes. So... I want to see Raposo playing consequential football and have an opportunity to get stuck into a match where he really, you know, gets a feel for it, feels comfortable. So I'd love to see him start in the wing in a, in one of these matches upcoming, but yeah, 23 minutes played for Raposo five for five on his passing, which I mean, for a Whitecaps team that passed it something like, yeah, 77%. That's, that's always helpful. Uh, Two crosses, neither of them accurate, unfortunately, lost possession three times and was offside once. So uh, 
<laughs> an, interest, an interesting stat line, but yeah, that's uh, I don't know if we really have a ton more to add. Really, none, none of the subs had any massive impact on the match. As I said, I think it was kind of, you know, they were kind of seeing it out at this point. It wasn't really a, a high stakes entry for a guy like Raposo or those guys that came off the bench in the 80th minute. Well, from Metcalf, I'd say, again, intrigued because every time he plays, I like what he brings, so I'd like to see more. And then Ricketts, um, I'd just say for him, it was just solid. I mean, he didn't have much time to stamp his influence on the game, but I wouldn't mind seeing him as a starter. Again, like I said, if you're going to commit to the 4-4-2, give the man a shot. He, him and Cavallini, that's the pair. If you're going to stick to the 4-4-2, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah, that's my my thoughts yeah. on that. I have to say, Pat, Patrick Metcalf always impresses me with how pro-ready he looks. Like, he, it never feels like Metcalf is out of his depth. It, it seems like mentally the game is not moving too fast for him. Because even I could level that against Theo Bear and Ryan Raposo at times, is that there are moments where the game feels a little bit fast or they're on the ball and they lose track of where, you know, other players are on the pitch. But for Metcalf, he seems to have that very calm demeanor and, and things don't get away from him. And I think that's, that should bode well. And hopefully love to see him get a start or get at least, you know, a 60 minute performance somewhere down the line. Cause I'd really like to see a, a larger sample size from him. No, I think that's a fair shout. Um, we want to see more of the kids and I think they've shown in their, their time when they play that they, they, they earn more of a shot, you know, more minutes off the bench. Don't be scared to start Raposo and bear. I think they're legit. And that's, yeah, that's kind of how I feel about them. I think that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, we could, you know, we could go on and whine and whinge all day about the result from last night, but uh, I think we're going to, we're going to try to exercise some restraint and move on from that. But, uh, Alex, uh, any final thoughts from you? And and also just looking forward to, we're going to try to get someone uh, from the Toronto area in to, you know, maybe get their thoughts on on Vancouver as well as what can, we can expect from the match on Friday. So stay tuned for that as well. Yeah, well, I think that's pretty much, we've, that was a 45-minute sprint. I think we got what we wanted off in, in pretty succinct fashion. So that's all. I have no, nothing to say, quote Jose Mourinho. Oh, well, well, on that note, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Samuel underscore rowboat um, at 86forever.com. We've got our post match out. We've got a report card out. We'll be previewing the next match upcoming. So plenty of content for you there. And Alex, over to you. Twitter at Alex Gongiruzic at BTS Fan City, writing btsfancity.com. Check it all out. Catch you soon. That's pretty much it. I ran out of words. Yeah, be good everyone. We'll uh we'll talk to you again soon.